We return for another conversation here on Chicago's Legal Latte. Uh, hi, everyone. This is Jim Mitchell, and we're going to dig into a specific litigation issue today. Um, and we'll do that with the help of LaBelle Law shareholder Matthew Sheehan. Matt has uh, joined us many times on podcasts in the past. And uh, Matt, first of all, thanks for taking the time. This is going to be a good conversation. So your help is going to be very beneficial. So great to talk to you again. Happy to join. Um, in the past, we've talked about things like trademarks and copyrights and things that businesses need to worry about. We're going to talk about infringement today, but let's go back and redefine what we mean specifically when we use the term trademark. So a, a trademark is a word or a design that indicates the source of goods or services. Um, so, you know, some of the more famous trademarks, I guess, everyone knows are things like you know, Nike, Chiquita, any of those words. And you can, you know, the swoosh and the uh, woman with the fruit on her head, you know, people know those okay. names and those logos and, and what they uh, what they refer to. So those are uh, registered trademarks in, in both cases by obviously multi-billion dollar global companies. But uh, there's also a lot of different size companies that can register for trademarks and do. And, uh, and uh, it's a, it's a very, it's always rife with disputes uh, mm -hmm. because frequently you have other competing businesses that are in the same line of goods and services using either part of your uh, name or a similar type of mark. And that's where we get into a battle over trademark infringement. And you mentioned uh, registering a trademark. There's a process that a company would go through to, to set up that type of protection. Yes. So, and uh, our, our transactional team here at Lavelle would do that. Uh, Ted and Steve and their team uh, registers trademarks regularly, uh, you know, every year. It usually starts with a, uh, you know, client will come with a logo design or a, or a name that they want to see if they can register as a federal trademark. Uh, we'll do a search of that uh, name or, or logo and see if we think that, uh, that might be available. Um, we can't make that determination, of course. We can, but we can look to see if if there's a already a trademark with the exact same name that's registered. We'll tell mm -hmm. the client it's it's not available. Um, if if the name's a little bit different or you know substantially different, but might use a word or two of the same name, but we still think it's it's different enough, especially if it's in a different line of goods or services where they won't be confused. Uh, we may go ahead and file, you know, with the client's permission, file for a, a trademark application with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, and then their examination office will go through it. And that's who actually approves the trademark and then gives you a registered trademark, which is, if you go, if you have that, that's what lawyers would call prima facie evidence of a trademark. Um, you can use that registration in litigation to demonstrate that you have, a, in most cases, have a superior right over anyone else over that particular trademark or design. So today when we talk about uh, infringement of a, of a trademark, what, what does that typically incur? What are the most typical ways that a uh, trademark would be, would be stuck? Sure. Well, typically, you know, most, most people want to avoid litigation if at all possible. Um, so, you know, for example, one <coughs> uh, recent example we've had uh, was in, in regards to a restaurant using, uh, and they do have a federal trademark, uh, 
and it can't be just like a generic name, right? It can't mm-hmm. just be eggs or milk, mm-hmm. you know, those generic terms. But if it's something more um, descriptive, um, you know, like there's a, for example, a restaurant in Wheaton called Eglectic. Uh, I'm not sure if they've registered that actually as a trademark, but we had another restaurant that registered a trademark and we discovered a restaurant in Northwest and, and they've got three or four locations. They've got a federal registration and uh, there was a restaurant in Northwest Indiana using the main part of its name as its as its, as its name. So we tried to avoid litigation and, and sent a cease and desist letter you know, demonstrating to that particular restaurant that our client had the federal registered trademark and telling them to, you know, that they need to change their name. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, you can imagine for a restaurant that entails a lot of work. You know, sure. they got to change the menu, yeah. they got to change the website, they got to change literally the physical sign on signage. Yeah. Uh, signage on the store. So different different parties go about different ways. You know, you can tell them you better do it or I'm going to sue you and, and not offer anything. Other parties might say, you know, you can do it, but I'm going to give you a reasonable time, you know, to make those changes. And some some parties will even say, you know, just to try and protect their trademark, they might even offer money to the infringer. You know, and we know it's going to cost you about X amount of dollars. We're willing to pay some of that, half of that, something like that, to try and encourage them to, to do it without having to, to litigate. But of course, sometimes you get a response that's, not what you want to hear and they're not going to change anything um and then a decision comes as to whether or not you want to file suit and are you able to frequently resolve these things through a, a letter or phone call and negotiation or do they often turn into a more full-blown legal action yeah i mean every case is different we we usually do try to, to work it out and I, in most cases whether i'm representing a you know an owner of a trademark or, or someone who received a cease and desist letter we do try to work through those issues. And, and certainly the, the lawyers will kind of volley back and forth about different, because there are certain defenses you could possibly have. Um, you might not think it would cause confusion in the in the marketplace. And mm-hmm. I, have, I can give you an example of that. Um, but um, it, you know, it really depends on the, how reasonable the other party is or how reasonable, even if the alleged infringer, if they really don't think it's, it's um, causing confusion in the marketplace and doesn't qualify as infringement, they might stand their ground and they might have a reasonable basis to do so. You know, reasonable minds can disagree. And, and that's usually when you end up. And in terms of examples, uh, you, you mentioned just a, a small restaurant or a small chain. If there's uh, one here in the Chicago area and there's another one out in Montana, you go, Hey, you know, we're never going to cross paths. Um, you know, it's that kind of thing where perhaps you might stand down or is it, Hey, this is yeah. our mark. We got to protect it. Yeah, it depends on uh, that. It might not be worthwhile. You know, the other example I gave you where it's, it's you know, we've got three restaurants in Illinois and this is in Northwest Indiana. Mm-hmm. That's stuff where you, you could get some confusion there, um, especially if the, you know, the trademark owner feels like their business and service is a higher quality and they don't want their, the confusion to, to be demonstrating something they think is not quite as good as their service. But yeah, if you have someone, uh, a similar named restaurant up in the corner Washington and you know you own the same type of restaurant in Florida you might not think it's worth it and it very well may not be especially if yeah. you have a single location there's actually a pretty famous example of uh, Burger King in Mattoon Illinois um, they there was a restaurant called Burger King in Mattoon Illinois uh, and it predated the national chain 
obtaining their registered trademark. And um, when Burger King asked them to stop, they said, no, we, we were here before you, even though we don't have a trademark. They actually yeah. had, and, and they litigated this. And the Mattoon restaurant uh, actually won. And because they had what we call common law rights, they had been there first. They had been using that name conspicuously but for everyone to see for a number of years before the national chain registered its trademarks. So actually, the court found that the original Mattoon Burger King can stand and the Burger King franchise can't put anything in there within about, I think it's a 20 mile radius or something. Like that. Oh, wow. So uh, that has happened in the past. So, good, you know, good for those business owners that protected their their rights. And, um, and the, you know, Burger King is the national chain is certainly respected that. We're talking with Matthew Sheehan, today's shareholder at Lavelle Law, talking about trademark infringement. Uh, time always flies by in these conversations. But Matt, let's get into the specifics a little bit here. Um, what you mentioned, I think, the U.S. Patent Office, is that what the law or code is that, that covers trademarks? Does it um, come yeah, out of there? The trademark office will make the examination, and they've got their own. They've got a lot of rules and regulations. But if you're going to suit, mm -hmm. uh, you're generally going to end up in federal court. Uh, under what's called the Lanham Act that covers the federal um, the federal statute. So the federal courts have jurisdiction, of course, to enforce federal statutes. And that's where most of the trademark infringement claims lie. So mm -hmm. typically, um, and a lot of times you have also diversity jurisdiction, because you might have an Illinois plaintiff against a Florida defendant. So you've got that as well. But, but with the Lanham Act, you're going to have federal jurisdiction regardless. And, you know, you can bring a lot of different claims. Typically, uh, just looking at some of the things we brought, um, you know, there might be uh, just straight trademark infringement under under the act. Um, there can be other claims for unfair competition. Um, trademark dilution, which means by using the mark, you're kind of diluting my federal registered trademark, you know, weakening its mm -hmm. effectiveness in the marketplace. Um, certainly, the, you know, a lot of trademarks might have a copyright as well. Uh, depends on what you're selling. Um, but those are the typical type of claims um, that you see. Um, and, and then there might be some supplemental state claims that people can bring in federal court as well. Um, you know, and one of the examples we have, and this is, I can show you this because it's public record and, and tort filing and uh, federal court in the Northern District of Illinois, we represented this um, comic book maker. And uh -huh. These kind of cool books of classic stories, but under under a comic book kind of, you know, format. Okay. Uh -huh. Rob Roy, you know, they've got War of the Worlds, they've got all these, and they have this distinctive mark of classic illustrated featuring, you know, the world's greatest authors, We've got this open page book. And in this case, we went, uh, we sued what we felt like was a comic book maker that was infringing on the mark. He was not, um, or the company was not actually using the name um, uh, Classics Illustrated. He had changed it uh, to Jack Lake Classics, but he was using, you know, the same type of type here. Mm -hmm. type. Mm -hmm. And he also had this, tagline and the open book oh, wow. and it was very similar the color yeah. so yeah. it was it was still even though it wasn't exactly like it was similar enough that it was causing confusion in the marketplace under our theory um 
you know, and they, they did plead like I would plead. And, you know, I represented a, uh, in another case in, in Northern District. Um, in fact, I mentioned it before, Chiquita. Mm-hmm. Uh, our client had a, cha- a couple of supermarkets called Chiquita Food Market. And they, you know, you know, we had a, various defenses in that case. We settled the case with Chiquita, that, and I can't get into the confidential terms. But, um, you know, in that case, I, for for our client, we didn't feel we were infringing because it wasn't you know you know everyone knows it's not a global produce company (laughs) it's a a local hispanic grocery store and chiquita is a spanish word for little girl i mean you know there's so many products if you look around the world that have the word chiquita in it and so we were arguing that it wasn't you know it wasn't causing any confusion in the marketplace um they were distinguishable marks uh um that you know they don't own the the right exclusive rights to the term Chiquita. There was no direct competition. There was no damages to them, all those type of things. Um, ultimately we resolved like, you know, out of all the cases that are filed in the United States, uh, whether it's for trademark or anything else, the great majority don't go all the way to trial. It's sure. an expensive, time yeah. stressful process. And most people, um, and unless they have the wherewithal monetarily, and, and the strength of their case, they might not want to go all that way. So there's a lot of cases that do resolve by way of settlement. And, you know, that's the idea with the cease and desist. It's to try to do it before you get in litigation. But even once you're in litigation, many times the parties are able to broker a deal that everyone finds, you know, uh, tolerable enough to uh, resolve the case. So in a couple minutes left here, but but I really want to follow up here. You, you mentioned the, the process. Do you simply need to show that there are similarities that visually you can look at it and say, yep, those those look like one has taken from the other? Or do you need to prove in some way that there's been some damage or harm by having? You generally need to do both. Um, And, you know, I could, you know, in the Chiquita case, you can see their point that it's still in the food industry. Mm -hmm. Um, And those those are just fact issues that we never got to that would be tried. And, you know, the the jury or the judge would make those determinations. in that particular case, the parties were able to work something out. And uh, recent headlines, in fact, recent as in, you know, an hour or so before we started talking here, we got an update on a case with Nike, which is probably the, one of the top five global brands. Uh, and it looks like they just won some relief in a case that uh, they were involved with. Yeah, they, and this is really at the trademark office level. So it's not involving I understand it's not involving like disputed litigation with someone else claiming the rights to it over over Nike, but they had mm-hmm. uh, Nike had tried to register a trademark called S capital S capital N capital K capital R capital S. So kind of a quick um, shortened term for sneakers. Mm-hmm. It's been selling you know online under that uh, name uh, since about 2015, and then you know. It's Nike, so they've made millions of sales. Um, but the first go around, uh, the USPTO found that that term was too generic. You know, it's just you know just a shortened version of the word sneaker, which everyone knows is just a different name for you know basically a gym shoe. Um, but ultimately, uh, Nike was able to uh, convince the trademark trial and appeal board um, that uh, that particular use, the way that they display it, the capital letters in that order uh, was enough uh, to not be generic and that uh, they did grant um, 
the trademark to Nike. So now Nike has that ability to use that term in it on, you know, it's an online sales and however, whatever marketing it's going to use it for. So uh, they'll have that exclusive use. And I'm sure if anyone tries to go online and sell shoes under that name without their permission or license, uh, they will most likely get sued by Nike. It's an interesting position to be in. Uh, so two that things. That decision, Jim, you're right. I think it came down literally yesterday. Okay. Yeah. And that's, you know, th those are the ones that are interesting to look at and try and see how they're going to evolve now. And um, before we let you go, uh, two things. One, um, I want you to tell us how people get a hold of you if they have a concern, if there's something that they feel is uh, uh, worthy for you to take a look at. And as you do that, is it also imperative, we didn't really mention that if a company is starting out or launching a new product, the importance of getting this done right away, right up front. So first of all, tell us where we can reach you and then give me a quick view on what businesses should be. Sure, you can reach me at msheehan at lavellelaw.com. You can go on our website. There's our contact information is all there, lavellelaw.com. You can find any of the attorneys here, frankly. Um, or my direct dial is 312-332-2855. Our general number is 847-705-7555. Um, and for any business that thinks it has uh, a trademark worth registering, it's certainly worthwhile to have a discussion with one of our uh, transactional attorneys um, to, to look into it. it. It's not very costly to at least allow us to do a search. To, and, you know, and even in that initial discussion, we're going to be able to tell you whether or not we think it might be, you know, even have the ability to be trademarked. Uh, after a discussion, you might realize it's not uh, trade, you know, worthy of a trademark. But if we do think it is, then we'll do the search and tell you if, if there's, you know, if it's worthwhile to go through the process. Of course, we're not the USPTO, as Nike found out. And yeah. You have to go through that process and ultimately live with their decision or appeal it and return it like Nike did. But uh, um, it's it, probably in a 10 minute conversation, we can probably let you know if it's something that's worth pursuing. Pursuing. Matt, thanks very much for the time today. Always great to talk to you and uh, uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to follow up at some point, but uh, always appreciate the insights. So have a great day. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Matt.